0: Well, this morning we continue in our series on Exodus. It's a short little series, but we continue it. And um, this week, last week, we talked about the beginning where we found Moses. And this week, we're going to move over the plague. So here is to catch you up to date previously on Exodus. <laughs> Moses has delivered the people. He has gone out to the wilderness and God has spoken to him. That Moses, I've heard the cry of my people and sending Pharaoh back, Moses back into Egypt to Pharaoh. And there he tells Pharaoh to let my people go, let God's people go. But Pharaoh, as you know, didn't do that. And so Moses said, well, God's gonna send a series of plagues. Now we think sometimes that These plagues are mean, that God is mean in in a certain way, right? God has that rap in America to be a God of wrath. And this doesn't help his PR position, these plagues. But I I want you to notice that each of these plagues is directed at the heartbeat of the Egyptian economy. Where the Egyptians had oppressed the Israelites for 400 years, can you just imagine that? 400 years the Israelites were in slavery. And here they, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. He had been benefiting from the exploits of slavery for so long to build his immense empire of wealth and extravagance. He'd been using the Israelites to build his kingdom and so, in a series of plagues, God moves one to the other in a system of economy that they had been using, that strikes at the heartbeat of, the, of the, the economy itself, the waters of the Nile, and moves through the livestock, and moves through all the places. God again, once again, over and over, says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let the people go. But Pharaoh refused over and over again until the end The Egyptian economy had suffered such great defeat at the hands of this God that they did not know, that finally Pharaoh relents and says, fine, take your people and go. And so Israel packed their bags, and they left out of the only place that any of them had ever known into the wilderness, and they encounter a sea in front of them, and They are stuck. Pharaoh's armies are approaching from behind. Pharaoh had a change of heart again. He is going to now not re-enslave, but probably slaughter because of his anger. And God miraculously parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk through it. Pharaoh once again has a choice to make. Should I pursue? Should my wrath continue, or should I let it go? Pharaoh chooses the way of wrath, and the waters come tumbling down upon him and his armies. And finally... The Israelites are free. Standing on the other side of the sea, they had passed through the waters and now they are free people. This is in in many ways why we celebrate baptism. We move through the waters into a new life. Just as Israel moved through the waters from their slavery now to their liberation. But their liberation was not yet complete. They were free, but their deliverance was just starting. They had been living in a sense of slavery for 400 years. They had never known what it is like to be free. And furthermore, the only people that they had ever seen free were the Egyptians who oppressed them and mocked them and hurt them and killed them and slaughtered their children. They had no idea how to be free people in a way that brought flourishing to their whole community. And so the deliverance part of their freedom was just now starting. Here they were. I mean, I mean like, we, when we pray, it, it, check me if I'm wrong, but we, you pray about things, right? You pray about your, your life, your thing. But usually we pray just for God to do something for us, right? That's why we usually pray. Like something's wrong, something's broken, something's out of whack. And we pray, God, would you please fix this thing for me? And then if, if that happens, if God does move and that situation is resolved or fixed, we're like, yes, praise God, and we're out, right? Like, we're good. God, you fixed whatever was wrong, and now I'm out. Not out with the, not from God, but you kind of move on from that, right? We don't usually stop to examine the situations that may have caused that problem that need to be fixed, right? Like when you go to the doctor and you have a like a like a gnarly rash somewhere and you're like, "Hey doctor, look at this rash. Like this is bad, isn't it?" And like you're going there. Why are you going there? You are going there to get medicine, to fix it. That's what that right? Like you're going, you're like, doctor, I need some medicine. D- doctor, don't you even tell me that I need to change my diet or stop eating that fast food or I need to exercise more. Don't, nope, nope, nope. I, I-, I don't want to hear that. I just want the medicine. Just give me the medicine and fix me, right? No- nobody? <laughs> no. <laughs> you laugh because you know it's you, like all of us. Like we, like when we, when we have a headache, oh my gosh, I hate headaches. Anybody hate headaches? I hate headaches. When I get a headache, I'm just like, Give me all the ibuprofen, all of them. I just want the whole bottle. Like, I want it gone. I don't want to deal with it. I couldn't imagine what life was like before ibuprofen. Like, you had to deal with these headaches forever. But, but like, that's what we do. When you get a headache, you just want to get done with it fast. But a headache is your body's way to say, hey, body, something's wrong here and something's out of whack and you probably need to focus on fixing your whole body, not just getting rid of the headache, right? But we don't wanna do that. We just wanna get rid of the headache. So we're not really very good as humans in this living in this society at this time right now in dealing with the underlying issues that we have. We just wanna get fixed and we wanna move on because like, dealing with the underlying issues is hard work. Like, like we have to change our diet, or we'll have to exercise more, or we'll have to walk more, like, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to do things differently. I just want to get fixed. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a detox before, but you know that they're miserable, right? Like when you go through a detox, like you're trying to, like I've been on a couple and trying to get rid of the toxins that have been built up from years of eating bad things. And and so you stop eating those bad things and you start eating good things like, like uh, celery and broccoli and all the raw vegetables and you get rid of the sugar and you're like, I'm gonna go on a 30-day cleanse here. And what happens? You usually feel terrible, don't you? Like, like, you feel awful. And you're like, why am I feeling awful? Like, I, I should be feeling better. I'm on a detox. But that's not the way it works. See, after years and years of eating sugar and, and fats and bad things and, and MSGs and bad preservatives, like, those, our body can't handle it all. Our, like, our liver and our body that's supposed to cleanse us, it can't handle it all. So what happens is the body finds ways to store the toxins that it can't get rid of because you're just putting too much of that stuff in you and your body's like freaking out like I can't do it and so like the liver stuffs all those toxins that it can't get rid of under your liver bed under the bed, under the pillow into the liver closet and it's like oh my gosh like put this stuff in there and then when you you go on a detox and your body's like ooh this is nice you're giving me some space what happens? the body's like it's time to open up that closet and get rid of these stored toxins. And when that closet is open, those toxins come out like little baby dragons who have been caged up their whole life. And they're like, ah! And it's like, it's bad. It can get bad. But that's the process of healing. That's the process we have to go through. And some, most of us are like, uh, no thanks, I'm good. I'll just um, keep filling my closet full. And, um, but, but long-term... That's really unhealthy. And this is the same way that the Israelites find themselves in a situation where they had been living in slavery for so long. They had been free. They are no longer have a geography of slavery. But now they're finding out that the work of deliverance is going to take a long time. Their minds are going to have to be renewed. How they engage with each other is going to have to be retaught. The ways that they talk is going to have to be reimagined. They had been slaves for a long time. And that brings us to the situation that we are in today in our scripture, Exodus 15, 19-26. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through on the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with uh, timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for God is highly exalted. Both horse and driver has, have been hurled into the sea. When Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur, for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Moriah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we going to drink? (laughs) Three days. (laughs) Three days. God had just miraculously delivered them from the hand of the most powerful tyrant in the history of the the world that they had ever known. God had just delivered them in a series of miraculous plagues, took them through waters that they had no business going through, and three days... And they're like, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing up there. But like, it feels like you've abandoned us. And we got no water to drink. (laughs) Anybody been there before? (laughs) Three days. (laughs) The greatest miracle ever. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them to put them to the test. God said, If you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in God's eyes, if you pay attention to God's commands and keep all God's decrees, I will not bring you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. It's the word of God for the people of God. God. Who heals you, not fixes you, not makes you better, but heals you. Keep that in mind. Here, Moses and the Israelites come out to this water, and and apparently this is a thing in the desert. I don't know. I've never lived in the desert. But apparently, like, sometimes there's springs in the desert that are bitter. And, and like, you can't. The water is undrinkable and here I can imagine like you 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 probably imagine from the text that he just took some sticks and threw it into the water and like they miraculously became better to drink and that's probably not how it happened imagine more like a a spring that that had a little flow to it and and probably Moses took some sort of tree branch or a series of of tree branches I don't know what they were and uh, and put them in there, and probably as it flowed down through the spring, the water flowed through the wood, and the wood acted as a filter of sorts to filter out the the bitterness here that that made the waters sweet. But this story is not about that water that they drank, is it? This story is about the bitter waters that Israelite was carrying with it out of Egypt and now into freedom. I think this story is placed here right after the moment they had been delivered, right at the first moment that they were beginning to grumble because God was speaking to them and thus to us through them and saying, you better watch your bitterness because if you carry your bitterness into freedom, you will never be free. You will always be a slave to your own bitterness and anger of what happened in the past. You must let go of those things. You must forgive, even forgiving Pharaoh. Mm. I I heard this quote the other day that said, um, bitterness is unforgiveness fermenting. Oh, that's good, right? I mean, have you ever been, have you ever gotten something out of the refrigerator and you opened up and you're like, you smell it, and you're like, ooh, ooh, that's bad. Like, ooh. And then and then, and then everybody does this, right? Like, whoever's near them, are like, oh, you got to smell this. <laughs> don't ever smell it. <laughs> life, life lesson, pro tip, number 17, don't ever smell what someone pulled out of the refrigerator and wants you to smell. Like, it's never good. Like, never good. In college, we had this, um, we were a group of four guys living in a house in college, and so you can only imagine how disgusting we were, and... Like we had this bottle of rice, like we had leftover rice we put in this Tupperware. And for some reason, somebody put it on top of the refrigerator and maybe they meant to put it into the refrigerator later. But months later, we realized that there was rice up in that, on top of the refrigerator. And one of us opened it up, like we shook it and there was just water inside. Like the rice had completely fermented and turned into a liquid in some sense. I don't know how it does this. But you can imagine, pull, open that thing up and just the smell. Like, like that is the image of what unforgiveness is like when we harbor it in our souls and keep it there locked tight and refusing to forgive. That unforgiveness turns into yuck fermented anger you've seen this happen before haven't you it happens to all of us we we are hurt in some way maybe maybe we're hurt legitimately or maybe we just feel hurt this happens a lot in the church, and, and bitterness is contagious. It can get around you. It can like other people can put it on you. Sometimes somebody does something that maybe you didn't like or a decision you didn't agree with, and, and I wish we could just all be adults in the room and be just like, I don't agree with that decision, but I'm not going to be mean about it. I'm not going to disparage you or talk bad about you, but, but we do that, don't we? Especially in church, there's some decision we don't agree with, and we take that personally, like that was a personal offense to us, and we wrap it around with some bacon of emotion and make a little filet mignon out of that, and, and then we let it ferment. <laughs> so it turns to no good, and we try, to, we try to bring other people in on it, don't we? Because we don't like to be alone in our bitterness. We want to pull other people in on our team of bitterness, team bitterness. It's ugly, and this is what happens in churches sometimes. When people come to me sometimes and they say, they say, I, have got a, I, I really have a problem with so-and-so. I'm just like, mm-mm, not today, Satan. Like, uh-uh, don't pull me in to your quicksand because I'm not going there. Like, if you got a problem with somebody, you need to go talk to that somebody, not me, because I'm not going to be on Team Bitterness. I'm going to love you and embrace you and accept you, but if you got a problem with something, you probably need to go talk to them and not complain to me about whatever it is because I can't help you in that situation. You need to forgive. Like forgiveness is this incredible tool that God has given us. It's hard, but it's this incredible tool where we say, we say to someone, you have hurt me, you have upset me, you have done something against me, but I release you from for me having to have justice in this situation. I release you from it. I'm not seeking vengeance. I'm not seeking justice. I'm not seeking anything against you. I forgive you. You're released from this debt. It's hard to do. But it is what God is asking the Israelites to do here. They had just been really hurt. I mean, they'd been hurt legitimately, enslaved. Their children had been murdered. They had had lost family members. They had been forced into labor for hundreds of years. They had every right to be upset, every right to be bitter, every right to be angry, legitimate. But I think what God is saying here is, in order for you to be free people over here, in order for you to truly be delivered, you're going to have to forgive Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You're going to have to release them from the debt that they owe to you. You're going to have to let it go. This is what God is saying, I believe, in the sense of God is the one who heals you, helping you to forgive. Today, who do you need to forgive? Who has hurt you, either real or, or maybe it's just something you feel that they hurt you in, or something that they did or didn't do that somehow you've taken offense to, and you it's, it's there and you can feel it and it's just it's just There. Who do you need to release and say, I don't demand the debt that you owe me. I release you. I release you. Because if we don't, that unforgiveness will ferment and it will turn stinky and it will turn into bitterness and we will become reenslaved to that bitterness that now is inside of us the slavery that we experience outside will be internalized and we will live in it and carry it with us and we will never be delivered we will never be truly free people today what do you need to let go of who do you need to forgive deliverance is just starting Deliverance is not done. Today, maybe God has delivered you from something. Maybe set you free from something. But maybe all those toxins of those years of hurt are stored up in you. And you need to let go so that you can find freedom. As I was thinking about this this message and this text today, I, I, I began to think about Colossians and what Paul tells us about living in the new life in Christ. And this is what Paul tells us in Colossians 3. It's a masterful work to remind us of who we are. Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, since you have been delivered out of the hand of Satan, out of the pharaohs of destruction. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things, not on the bitterness and unforgiveness and divisions and hurts that you may experience, not on your desire for wrath onto someone else, not for your desire to get back at somebody for what they did to you, not for your desire to be justified or fulfilled, not to be your desire to be right. I wish we lived in a world where we valued being with other people more than we valued being right about something. Because at the end of the day, we're going we're to figure out, like, wow, I wasn't right about a lot of things. Being with is more valuable than being right. For you died, Paul says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This... this Primal desires, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These things will eat you up from the inside. They will destroy. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God. This is an interesting thing. The wrath of God. Like We we take this and make whole theologies around it. God's wrath is not coming from God down upon you when we give ourselves to our basis desires which divide us. When we give ourselves to bitterness and bitterness and unforgiveness, the wrath springs up from within. It comes from us. The wrath comes from us. It is just a natural consequence of us giving ourselves to hate and division and exclusion. It comes up from us. You used to walk in these ways, Paul says, in the life that you once lived, but. Now you must also rid yourself of all such things like anger, rage, malice, slander, and bitter, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. Here, there is no division, no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no outsider, insider, slave, free. But Christ is all and is in all. Man. I wish we could hear that today. Wow. How often do we say, like, well, God, God's not in them. God's not with them. Christ doesn't live in them. Like, wh- what? People tell, me, people tell me often when they disagree with me, they're like, well, you should read your Bible more. And I'm like, man, have you seen this Bible? Like, it's falling apart. Like, it's got nothing. Like, it's... Like, I've read this thing so many times. It's ripped here. I'm missing half of Genesis. Like... <laughs> Maybe that's what they are talking about that I'm missing. <laughs> like, like, read my Bible. Have you read what Paul says? There, like, there is no division. Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen holy people and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to read that again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves. Put it on like a sweater. Pull it up like pants. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Not thinking that you are right about everything, but be humble, realizing that you don't know much. I don't know much. Gentleness. That we gently move together in life, holding each other loosely, not being offended at what they do or I do, or like giving each other heaping amounts of grace. And patience. 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 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, releasing you from the debt of justice. hmm and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and i love this he adds this and be thankful and be thankful and be thankful as we move through the waters of this life we are tempted to become bitter at the things that didn't work out for us at the ways that we have been, the ways that we thought we were right, but now we are faced in a situation where we may not be right about that thing. We can choose to do one of two things. We can carry our bitterness and unforgiveness along with us, or we can choose to let it go. We can choose to, to these waters, that they are bitter inside of us and stirring in our soul and will rot us from the inside out, Or we can choose to take the wood of the cross and put it on our waters and let that cross filter out the bitterness, the wrath, the desires for vengeance and justice that we have for other people. And allow the cross to release us from our debt and be the ones who carry that cross in our waters and release others from their debt. The choice is always ours. We can choose what we say. We can choose how we interact with each other. We can choose to allow bitterness to reign or allow that to be filtered through the forgiveness that Jesus has offered us. As we face this uncertain future in the United Methodist Church, I wish we could hear this again. I wish we could feel this again. To say no one is out. No one is excluded. Let's be patient with each other. Let's have compassion on each other. Let's be gentle and include each other. Let's be the people who truly have let go of our desire for wrath and vengeance, our desire to blame our problems on someone or some group of people. Let us let the life of Christ reign in us, which is not about being right. It's about being in love and loving each other there is no greater mark of the church than that not which church is right about this or that but the church that loves that's what matters and so church let us be a church like that as god is delivering us out of the hand of our slave drivers and through the waters of deliverance we may be in a geography of freedom but let us also embrace Freedom and deliverance of our minds and our souls to let go of our bitterness. Our hard talk to one another and against each other. And embrace the life-giving waters that Jesus is giving us. Forgiveness, hope, gentleness, patience, grace, and love. Let's be that church. Today, where are you in this story? What bitterness do you need to let go of? Who has hurt you? That you need to release them from the debt of justice. Today, how do you need to put on Christ? Today, how do you need to let Jesus filter your waters that are bitter? So that you can journey into the land of freedom and find true deliverance. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, we thank you for this day and your grace. Lord, we again lift up the decisions that are being made in St. Louis for our beloved church. We pray that those decisions that are being made will be made in gentleness and compassion and grace and a reminder that we don't need to be divided. But division just reveals the inadequacy of our theology. Lord, be with them. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to a decision that would allow a future for the LGBTQ community to be fully embraced without exclusion, without stipulation in the the whole worldwide church. Remind us that every group of people is a gift to be celebrated, not a tool to be used. Help us, Lord, to let go of our bitterness, to let go of our desire for vengeance for those who have hurt us, for those who have said hard things against us, for those who have been offended by a decision that we made and have cut themselves off from fellowship with us, help us to let go of that, to lay down our desire for vengeance, for justice, to be right, and allow your spirit, your cross, to filter those waters and make them sweet so that we may be to the world what the world truly longs for, a people of love. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.